Well, let's get this going so we don't waste a whole lot of time. Yeah, man, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to, I don't. All right, yo, crew, welcome back to the Skeeper Report. And I have had a hard time nailing this guest down because he's so busy (laughs) growing his empire. Anyway, so I have El Jefe. And if you're not a telemark skier, you don't know who El Jefe is. That's Josh Madsen. He is the um, (laughs) owner of Free Hill Life Industries, Telemark Skier Magazine, what else, what else you you got going down there with the free hill life world? Welcome to the show, Josh. Yeah, good to be here. I know. Sorry, I'm hard to wrangle, man. It's uh, it's good to be here finally. Um, well, pe- people think that when the ski season's over, you go play golf, right? It's like hockey, but uh, no, you gotta get ready for next year. Yeah, I'm the only guy that doesn't golf. In, uh, out of the free hill life guys so. well you, you know what that's that's not terrible because my dad is the largest importer and distributor of golf accessories and products in canada and i'm the only one in the family who doesn't golf <laughs> yeah it's i i uh yeah but to, yeah to kind of yeah like you said summertime is not ever slow the tricky part about telemark business is is for sure trying to figure out what um yeah, how to keep the cash flow in the summer, oh, but yeah. the, it's the only time you have to work. So it's always like the busiest time of the year. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been absolutely nuts this summer. Right. So I want to focus this episode on, uh, kind of, uh, your life. Cause we hear you talk on your podcast and, uh, I don't know. I, there are people out there who probably don't know a whole lot about you before free heal life. <clears throat> is but, there a, is there a life before free hill life what ha- <laughs> <laughs> well you know what not in your case because you, you were on free hills when you were two years old man i've seen that no, photo out no, there just, <laughs> those plastic like car who skis <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's been so long right no, yeah for sure yeah yeah i so you guys grew up skiing as family as uh what i learned from your brother lauren in his interview here on the podcast yeah we trying to think yeah like yeah there's a i think i've posted a photo i mean i i was i'm the only kid that was born actually born in utah right and i i lived in four states before i was 14 and um really the first skis i was introduced to were were cross-country skis so old there's an old picture of me on uh I mean, this is like classic 1980s. I've got like a brown, I look like Charlie Brown, basically. I've got like a brown <laughs> scarf, right? like some crazy puffy coat. But uh, yeah, they were like old, I think they were track skis, if I remember. They right. were kind of like little fish fish scale, you know, old enough that they had like a leather toe strap and and uh, right. I think a little cable binding. But yeah, we just like walked around the yard. That was in Missouri too. Wow. You know what? So. It's incredible listening to your podcast. And I don't know how many of the young guys, maybe you can, uh, you'd probably know of the guys on your staff, how many telemark skiers who are older started off as Nordic skiers or like you, you know, just walking around in the grass. And, you know, I, I listened to Taylor yep. talk about how, you know, he was going around uh, Alta on his uh, setup when he was a little kid, you know, it's just how many telemark skiers come from a Nordic skiing background. 
Yeah, that's funny you brought that up because I've noticed that too. I'm I've always I've actually been kind of surprised by that as well. Um I don't know what that is because it's I mean it's obviously a telemark's Nordic technique, right? But right. It, it doesn't ever I don't modern day cross country, I don't see the like I don't see as tight a correlation like right. you know, like a like skate a, ski. Like a skate ski. Right, like skate and classic and just that modern race equipment. I think I never, like, made the connection between those two. Right. But, yeah, people that just kind of had – I don't know. Like, the 80s were different, too, like, especially for kids on flat ground. Right. It seems like we all – yeah, you're right. A lot of people I've talked to, they're like, oh, yeah, I had a golf course next to my house. Exactly. walking around – I went walking on my cross-country skis. I mean, that seems like – a yeah. lot of us. Yeah, yeah, and especially like uh, you know, in the Midwest and that sort of stuff. There's not a whole pl- a whole pile of places to go skiing, so you've got little bumps and hills and and uh you got to get back there, so you put on cross country skis and away you go. Yeah, I I remember the first time I probably ever went downhill, we moved to uh we moved from St. Louis to Denver, Colorado and we it's the same thing that you're explaining. We had a, we had a Creek that ran below our house and, and then we also had a, a canal that was like, I don't even know, a quarter mile away, right. you know? And so as a little kid, um, a lot of exploring in the winter was like, you know, your mom, I mean, and I, this is another thing that's funny talking to people on my podcast is back then everybody, uh, your parents literally were like, see you later. They left you there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I vividly remember being like eight, 10 years old, you know, and I'm just, I thought I was a mountain man yeah. back in the day. Yeah. I love Jeremiah Johnson. Oh yeah. So, I, <laughs> so skiing to me at that point, I'm basically a flatland kid. The only time I, I, I remember I had, there was a sledding hill called Carboni park that I would walk down the canal or I'd walk down the Creek and there, that was the sledding hill. And we built little jumps. Right. And that was the first time I, how old were you then? Oh, probably like 10 right. eight or 10. I don't know. Some, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it wasn't, I did go downhill skiing one time in that era. And I think it was like a church group or something. Right. And, um, it's funny thinking back to that because we didn't have, I'm sure we didn't have money to like rent skis or something, but my grandfather had a basement full of skis. Cause he was right. the guy that taught my family how to ski. He was super old school too. Like f- funny side story. He wouldn't, he would not buy lift tickets for my, for my aunts and uncles and my mom. Right. He made you herringbone up yep. and ski. And then he would buy him a ticket once they could sh- show proficiency. Right. <laughs> so anyways, but yeah, I, I, I remember going alpine skiing and I had to use the, these old skis that had the strap. Right. They didn't have brakes. They were like 1970s. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've skied on those. My, my dad started one of the first uh, uh, traveling ski schools in Quebec. And one year for Christmas, we got some ski equipment and they'd take us out to the mall where the Greyhound bus or whatever would come and pick us up that the ski school chartered and they'd whisk us off. So here we are, I don't know, 
10, 9, 10 years old going off. And like the first time they put us on the wrong bus and they sent us to Jay Peak. <laughs> oh, wow. And then after they got that all figured out, I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm not really into traveling to go somewhere else and all by myself and this, that, <coughs> and the other thing. You know, so I, I just stuck around my house doing the same thing, trudging through the bush, you know, pretending yep. to be that outback guy, gone all day long on snowshoes or cross-country skis or something like that, cooking beans in a can on a fire. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I was a Boy Scout, so right, same down here. here in Utah, I mean, that was, yeah, I don't know. I Like I said, it, I was I was convinced that i was going to be a mountain man that was like when i was a kid right. people were like what are you going to be when you grow up i'm like i'm going to be a mountain man i think everybody thinks i'm a pretty kind of punk rock looking dude now which is kind <laughs> of it's funny to me because i didn't have tattoos well i guess i mean i've had tattoos a long time now but i think back to being a kid i mean that was more same thing i thought survival was cool and yeah walking around i yeah i never had snowshoes but yeah same same principle i'm like i'm just gonna go see what i can do you know build a lean-to in the forest and you know whatever <laughs> yeah i know you, you, listen to everybody being i never had that experience like uh some of your guests are being dropped off at a mountain and being picked up when it's getting dark but um you know as a kid growing up at our cottage i started backcountry backpacking and then one day my buddy and i we got some topo maps and we're like at our parents was like, we'd like you to drop us off here. And then five days later, pick us up here. We're like 11 years old, right? No tents. Wow. We knew what we were doing. And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't happen these days. No, especially you think like, uh, yeah, even Matt, I, yeah, that's, that's a skill I want to get better at now. You know, I think as I'm getting older is like be a right. better map reader. Right. I mean, cause you think like, now it's like, oh, cool. I got my sat, my Garmin sat phone. Let me turn this on in case I get into trouble, you know? It's and like, the battery's think, dead. Yeah. Well, and that's <laughs> what's so funny is like, yeah, a buddy of mine came back. We grew, he grew up here. He lives in New York City now. And we were just talking about this a couple of days ago when he visited. He's like, I mean, the hiking trails around here. Now that you've got like Instagram and, right. um, you know, people don't, they don't prepare, man. Oh. They're literally just. You know what? I was around. I was just listening to your podcast with Tom Carter and he was talking about being prepared. You know? Oh yeah, though that that podcast was sweet. Yeah. I'm a, imagine that. You're in the Yosemite Valley in the 1970s just walking around on your skis in the winter between yeah. you know, summers of climbing and nobody was there. And like you said, you got a topo map and you're that's it. You're just figuring it out you know so, yeah it, you know what it's crazy people ask you know you're lost in the back country what do you want a compass or a map and i'm like a map because i started paddling on lake superior just as gps was starting to come out for people and uh we didn't know that you had to sync the gps with the maps using what they call the <laughs> north america datum numbers so we're out in the lake and we're on this one island, and we're on Lake Superior. It's like 300 miles across where we are. And the guy with the GPS, we arrive somewhere. He goes, okay, we're here. And I'm like, this doesn't look like what's on the map. I think we have to go out more, and it's foggy, and we're just like two canoes, right, loaded for bear. And it's like, so the trailing canoe, he had the one map. We're in the lead canoe. 
And as we're going out, we can see rocks, and I'm describing what I'm seeing to Rick, and he's let confirming everything, and then we're like, bang on. We hit where we're supposed to go, but you know what? Got to have a map. Map skills are really important. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I was going to bring that up when you started talking about maps. I remember you telling me that story, and I can't even imagine. Because, yeah, people that don't know what those lakes look like, yeah. I mean. I well, you know, you skied up there, right? couple years well, ago i've been on that i've been on the edge of those lakes yeah. and i can tell you it it looks like an ocean not a lake and i can't imagine being out in a like a small vessel yeah <laughs> navigating the middle of the water out there it's pretty brutal and, and and we would we would file and close sail plans with the canadian coast guard because if you don't do stuff oh, like that wow. you may be financially responsible for your rescue Wow. And so I remember there were some people on the other end of the radio and they're like, you're out there and what? Why? You know, it's absolutely wow. gorgeous. You know, there's just you, two canoes, four, four people and nature. It's awesome. That's big water, though. I can't imagine if it gets windy. Oh, you know, like yeah. You get stuck on the beach for a day or so. And then you learn how to spend time, you know, bacon pizzas. We call we had this uh, company called it 33 days or free because it take that long to paddle it to you <laughs> jeez dude yeah oh so let's let's get back to your skiing man oh yeah yeah so walking around going down this creek to this little hill building jumps yep. being 10 years old and then uh did you ever really alpine ski or you snowboarded yes. right <clears throat> yes yep i snowboarded so there was uh I'm trying to think. Yeah, the ski thing, it's funny. Thinking back to like when I was talking about going to the sledding hill, it wasn't, again, I was like a flatland kid, you know? My mom was a skier. We didn't really have money to go ski. I think that's what's funny when people, I always used to say that Salt Lake City is like what people think Denver is. Right. Um, and so everybody moved to Denver, Colorado, because they're like, I'm moving to go to the ski town. But Denver's, it's a, even back then it's you know the distance is pretty far to the ski hill so it, it wasn't like you grew up in denver you didn't really at least i didn't i didn't grow up thinking i'm going skiing you right. know or, or whatever um when i was not long after that i think i was probably i think it was the middle of fifth grade or was it the beginning might have been the beginning of fifth grade. I moved up to Eagle, Colorado, which is a small town about 30 miles from Vail. My dad got a job in Vail. He worked in the hotel business. And that was really my first introduction to downhill skiing. Um, same thing. It's school program. Um, you know, Eagle back then, too. If you went there now, it wouldn't make sense because back, I mean, back when I lived there, it literally was like, half the school was like cowboys, right. you know, and it was like, you know, it was a small, it was a small outskirts town. Right. I don't even think, I'm pretty sure we didn't have even a grocery store. Wow. I mean, you pretty much had to drive. Like you had like, we had a pharmacy. That's, right. that was the big thing. You had a pharma pharmacy that sold candy, ammo, fishing lures. Uh, what else did we get there? Like, Ices. That right. was the big thing in the summer, you right. know, like Slurpees or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was it. Um. Anyways, so there was I love, I love, I love that candy and ammo. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's what I remember. Um, 
yeah, there's a whole story why that comes to my mind. Um, maybe we, I don't know. I don't <laughs> we might, know we might get there. <laughs> um, so there was a school. I'm trying to think. I'm pretty sure there was a school program that took us skiing. If if not, there was a Buddy Warner program, which was kind of like a ski Saturday program. Um, I remember getting a pair of skis at a ski swap and that was the f- in Vail. And I'm pretty sure the only, yeah, I got a season pass to Vail Beaver Creek for 150 bucks. Right. So the parents could afford it and they're like, yeah, you, you want a ski pass? And I, you know, I had friends that skied and at that point that instead of getting dropped off at the hill there, I, there was a bus that would go from Eagle all the way to Beaver Creek and Vale, right. and I would take that as a kid, you know, and um, that was pretty much how I got into alpine skiing. So the funny thing is I only lived there like two seasons. I, I skied the first year, learned to ski. I had this cool little crew of kids that we just skied every weekend together. Like we do our buddy Warner program and then we'd free ski together. And it just, so that was, I think that's where the cultural side of it was fun you know like i was like a little kid and i had this little posse of friends that i could just ski with um but the next season i already so one season of alpine then i hopped into snowboarding and uh bought a snowboard at uh gart brothers sneer grab i remember that that was like the 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 well-known sporting goods store back then um did you call did did you say sneer grab Snea grab is what it was called. Really? Wow. German yep. for snow. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah I, w- I went to a, I went to a workshop. It might be Austrian, but yeah, they were, they were asking this wax tech. There were all these Alpine racer kids there, and they're talking about wax. And he, the dude was like, Schnee is Schnee. Do you know what Schnee is? <laughs> yeah, Schnee. Yeah. Yep. So that they, that was like the big – yeah, it's funny to think back about retail – back then just kind of like the different sales and it just I don't know it seemed yeah it seemed different back then but um yeah I snowboarded for a season that was it so like I basically only alpined one season and then I snowboarded a season and then we moved again right and moved to Pennsylvania and for people that know the states well I mean you go from like flatland Denver mountains of Colorado. And then I moved to basically like cornfields of Pennsylvania, like Western PA. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Cause Eastern is like rolling Hills. Yeah. 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 It's probably, I think Eastern PA is a little more like Ontario. Yeah, it is. Look, there's, there's, there's Hills in Western PA too, but where we lit, we literally lived with a corn, like just corn, like we were some subdivision with yep. cornfields around it. Right super isolated kind of that's where i learned to ski was in a cornfield my uncle's farm he had a pair of boots they were they were too big and he had a snow machine and we uh, scajored behind the snow machine out in the fields in the winter time that's how we figured out how to ski oh my gosh that's awesome (laughs) yeah so that was and i was too young to drive right so i basically that i i think i've mentioned that on the podcast before too but it's like we uh 
I remember taking the snowboard to the local mountain and then I couldn't, they turned me away cause it was right. Pro, it was probably 19. It had to be like 1989 or something somewhere, somewhere in there. So yeah, they didn't even allow snowboards. And then basically it was like, all right, we can't afford this. We don't have a, yeah. It's like, I always talk about the access, right? Like exactly. the only reason yeah. I got it, the only reason I got into snow sports was because there was like a, a, the ability to like go do it, um, you know, for a fairly low price right. as a kid. So yeah, that's, so that's my, <laughs> I alpine skied, <laughs> snowboarded, was there two years, moved to Utah, went back to tried snowboarding still realized I sucked at it. Cause all the kids here were good at it. Went back to Alpine skiing for a year. And then I started telemark skiing. Wow. So it's kind of a, kind of how, a weird how, start. Okay. So here's, how'd you get into telemark? Uh, so I had seen telemark skiing. I, I remember distinctly probably in that Pennsylvania area. I remember seeing a guy telemark ski from the lift classic. I saw the guy from right. the lift. Right. Uh, but then when I came to Salt Lake, I'm trying to even remember how I remember, how I heard about it. Might've just been seeing somebody. I think I had, I think my, I had a, a uncle who was kind of like a rock climber survival, same thing, kind of yeah. just like a, an outdoorsman, you yeah. know, like that kind of guy. And I'm pretty sure he, he had done it a little bit, but I had it in, in my mind that it was something to, to do. And I, I went to the library across the street from my junior high school when I was 14, got a book called cross country downhill. And I, you know, I had, it was kind of just connecting these pieces. Like I found a book at the library. I had these old skis. My dad had from back in the Missouri days right. that I was talking about. And, uh, that was pretty much it. I read cross country downhill. I went and taught myself how to, to ski telemark on a resort with a book. Right. That was it. And right. I'd go up the lift, read the book, <laughs> the book, put the book in the backpack, try to ski, you know, it's, repeat. it's amazing just, how many of the OG telemarkers have done that. Yeah. I thought, I've thought a lot about that. The book thing is funny because people are still reading books yeah. that like no one's put out a legitimate telemark <laughs> book in a long time. Right. I mean, Paul Parker probably was the last, well, you probably the, the Mike. Uh, yeah. What's that one? Mike and yeah, I can't remember telemark tips, whatever. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that's the classic one. Everybody says, yeah, throw that in your backpack, pull it out every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at that the other day. I did not, I, I don't remember having a copy of that i remember seeing that one i don't it, honestly the gear i learned on pr probably it probably made more sense learning from a book that matched the gear right right even though it was you know i mean this is like 93 but the book was from like 1978 right but the gear i was on was probably 1985 yeah so yeah. I, just the technique of it was probably a lot easier to learn from that particular book right but, yeah, I skied on that first setup for I split it I split one season on Alpine Antelli. But uh 
I remember distinctly thinking that if I, if I didn't totally dedicate to it, I was never going to figure it out. Cause right. that older gear, man, it took a lot longer to figure out how to do it. And I mean, I was trying to ski bumps at for, I, I oh. remember that was the big test was I have to ski bumps, but you know, leathers, pins and two tens was like, right. Not bump worthy skis, so right. to speak. Yeah. But I don't know. So yeah, that's, that's how I learned how to tell Mark was from that, from that book. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I remember when I, once I got my gear and I taught myself, I, you know, the internet was pretty new and I'd be on telemark tips and there'd uh, be Uma Franosh or something like that. Yeah. Fran that, from mammoth. Yeah, yeah. So I would take a look at, you had little snippets of lessons. It's like, okay, I'll go work on that today. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. yeah that's i forgot about that guy <clears throat> yeah. yeah some 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 of those guys had like early tutorials yeah i think the internet's totally changed like oh yeah there's so much ability to look at video um anything you want to do right like fix your house telemark yep. ski yeah um yeah, that's why i call probably, it youtube academy yeah i mean you don't really need to go to college honestly no. if you just yeah. sit and watch videos you yeah. probably could figure out most things <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so you're telemark skiing i really got to know you I, through uh movies and that sort of stuff so how did you progress from your uh leather boots and 210 skis and uh being uh studious on the chair to uh slaying it in parks and big mountains and all that sort of stuff uh yeah i mean so yeah i tell you through high school i was like i was pretty diehard telemark it's funny i think there's kind of like multiple pieces to this you know story but this this, this is became, around the time when you're thinking about the free heel life just before you get your uh volkswagen Westphalia or something like that. Well, right? what's funny, what's, well, that's what I was going to say is one thing. I don't know if I've even talked about this that much, but in high school, so I learned when I'm 14. So I mean, I'm in like eighth, ninth grade, which is junior high school here. Yeah. That's when I learned how to tell you. So I don't even have a car yet. I can't drive. Um, I'm like two years from being able to drive. And um, by the time I get to high school, I get my driver's license like sophomore year. I, I, I was pretty old for my grades. So the minute I got to high school, I pretty much could drive a car. And I mean, the it's, it's funny because sometimes I always say like I wasn't as big a telemark skier as I was into like rock climbing back then. But the funny thing is like, like by high school, I basically commandeered my parents' minivan. Right. And this obviously the van thing becomes like this common. I was, I was just going to say that. <laughs> well, what, what's funny. So the neighborhood we moved to in salt Lake was five, less than 10 minute walk to black diamond. Okay. So I just happened to live in this neighborhood right below, um, in salt lake the there was this it's funny thinking back to that era i because this this little complex had been built i can't remember what it was but it basically looks like a little swiss village right people would probably think black diamond built this thing but i'm if i remember right it was like an abandoned 
Swiss village somebody tried to build in the middle of this neighborhood by us. It's kind of like a corner market or right. whatever. And then Black Diamond had moved in there. So there's you've got the Black Diamond retail store. You've got Black Diamond manufacturing warehouse. And then you had a rock climbing gym. And the first time I ever saw a guy living in his van um, that I remember was uh, was at outside the the rock gym and the warehouse were like right next to each other. And so these guys had started moving, these climbers and skiers had started moving. Uh, Black Diamond was really a climbing company back then. It right. hadn't really yeah. got into ski stuff, but they were distributing the Scarpa stuff back then. Okay. So the North American distributor for Scarpa was Black Diamond in the early days. So if you wanted Telemark boots, that was the retail shop you'd go to or one, one of them. There's a couple here. And then the rock climbing gym. And anyways, these guys were living in their vans in the parking lot of black diamond. And I remember one of the guys, I think still, uh, they called him B rad Brad. Uh, I think it's Bart Bartledge, Bartledge, something like that. He had a little Toyota van that he lived in outside of, uh, the warehouse. And these guys were, just climbing, living in their van and working at black diamond. Right. And so anyways, how that plays in is I get this idea when I'm like 16, I'm like, well, we've got a minivan at home, which is like our family minivan. <laughs> and I, like I said, I mean, commandeered is probably the best way I can describe it because I basically start driving that to school and that becomes the telly cave. I, I am convinced at that point, <laughs> that I'm the telly man and Batman had a cave and telly man also needs a cave. Right. So I ripped the seats out of the back cause they had the detachable seats. You know, it's a, a 90 grand caravan. I'm pulling the seats out. I start, I, I literally went to the hardware store and bought stickers that like the, the <laughs> yep, lettering yep, stickers yep. and put telly cave on the <laughs> side. And, uh, I don't know why my parents put up with any of this, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So that, that was it. So I was just like in the winter time, I just started like trying to, I put a cot in the back of the van, right. which my parents were not thrilled about. And uh, yeah, I would like go climbing and skiing. So anyways, so I was pretty diehard right. telly in high school, but I didn't really, I mean, this is like the mid nineties. Like I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm really answering your question. I went I went further back than your question. No, think, no, but. no. This is cool because you know what? Most people know can get information out of your podcast. You and I have been friends for quite some time, but I was wanting to yeah. get information that is stored back there that, you know, you just got to take some massaging to get out. These are all awesome stories because this is like the beginning of Free Hill Life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny for the free heel life. Yeah. When I went back to, yeah. When I go back to high school, I mean, I was die hard. I mean, I'm an, I'm a pretty intense person, I would say, but like, imagine like seven, 16, 17 year old brain where you're like, this is the only way, you know? So I, that's totally how I was. I was like, I I tried to get everybody to telemark that I could. And, um, and then, yeah, so that was the first time I did a ski trip was in high school. I'd say that was pretty influential because I read about all these resorts in, in 
probably powder magazine or something like that. And, uh, that was the first big ski trip we did. I, uh, I planned this ski trip. It's funny. This is how funny I was. I used to plan, I planned the ski trip. I would, I took pictures out of all the magazines and clipped them. Right. And I would like glue them on to, to pieces of blank paper. And I created this whole trip. And I think I called it like your storyboard, L- man. L- <laughs> I, exactly. I storyboarded. I had this idea that I was going to live in the van and I was going to drive to nine resorts in 11 days. And I storyboarded it out. I called it El Gnarly Ski Trip of like 1998 or no, right. no, no. It wouldn't have been 98, probably 97. I think I did it my senior year of high school. And, um, we just boogied, man. That was the first time. And that was so pre-internet. Like, I was going to say, where the hell was YouTube, man? You imagine well, what that? I, <laughs> what, here's what's funny about that. I actually found the resort emails. How did, I don't even know. I must have had to, like, call the operator. I don't even know. How did you find numbers back in the, it was Phone like, books. Phone books, man. Yeah, but it was like pre-phone books i mean like because it wasn't local resorts right so it was like another state because this was all going to be in colorado right and so nine resorts in 11 days was the goal and i sent however i got the info i sent away for pamphlets right from the resorts and so i had like trail maps ahead of time right and i knew how much the ticket prices were and then um a lot of that gas money i'm pretty sure I collected at the vending machines at school <laughs> and I took a, I took a two liter bottle. I, I'm, I probably had some money from mowing lawns or something, right, too, but right. I had like a two liter bottle. I remember I duct taped it and I would stand by the vending machines and all, you know, I went to a pretty, I, I was not an affluent kid, but I went to a fairly rich school. Right. You stand by you stand by the vending machine, man, and ask for fifty cents. Yeah, kids were like, "Oh yeah, dude, here." I'm like, "I'm going on a ski trip. You know, you want to pitch in for the gas?" Yeah, and people would just give me quarters. Yeah, and I, and gas was ninety five cents back then. So right. you know, you you make a buck at lunch, you got a gallon of gas. Yeah, you got you got you got like fifteen miles closer to your destination. Yeah, so that's that was the big thing. From from that, I, I was just diehard, worked at a resort, taught skiing. So I had a pass. I was always trying to find a way to get a pass because that made sense. But I still was, like, much more of a climber than I was a skier at that point. So it wasn't really – honestly, what's funny when I think about, like, some pre-story to this whole thing, there wasn't some plan. I, it's, I, I think a lot of it kind of – was happen chance like it just sort of materialized that way because um all the stars aligned yeah because it's like i mean in, in one way i've totally been able to kind of fulfill my dreams of building a business in telemark and doing some cool stuff and being able to travel yeah but um you know like by the early 2000s um i thought i was gonna Again, I was working at climbing shops, not ski shops. Right. And I was skiing in the winter. It just was kind of like that. Like I did something in the summer and I did something in the winter. Right. Like most people. And um, 
I, you know, I think really the turning point was I tried to, I, I had another van, the 69 VW bus. We talked, right. you yep. were talking about. Yep. And, uh, wonder if it's still living. Cause I know the story, how, who you sold it to kids and oh, you dude, came across it again. Was, and yeah. Yeah. That was a funny <clears throat> ending to that one for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I guess like the beginning of it, the early two thousands was kind of where it switched on where I was like, Oh, there's, I could use this as a vehicle to travel. Um, because I had some opportunities pop up again. That's what I'm saying. Like I didn't ever start the whole thing to get where I am. Right. Now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It just was like one thing happened and then I was like, Oh, maybe I could do this. And, um, I don't, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. I, 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 uh, you know, I didn't go to college. I went to college a couple, I tried to go to college a couple times, but I don't know a lot of, I think a lot of this all just came about because I, you know, when I, I think, I think when you're somebody who doesn't, you know, like, especially 20 years ago, I didn't have a traditional education to right. say I'm going this pathway. Like I got, I have this degree, I'm going to get this job. You know, I think I've always tried to be someone like when a job popped up, I'm like, Hey, do you want this work? Yeah. It's like, yes. Yeah. And so I just learned to say yes. <laughs> yep. It just kept, it just kept going. So, right, right, right. So from that you were in, you're a ski athlete, right? Yeah. So that, that was, that was the big thing was I tried to move to the beach right in that van in that 69 bus the bus breaks like i i break up with this girl i'm living in northern utah i break up with this girl actually bought that bus from her brother and uh, maybe he sabotaged it i don't know so um i drive to salt lake and i'm, I'm convinced that i'm gonna move to the beach and become a surf bum and i get to salt lake and the bus breaks the engine blows up and I'm like, well, now what am I going to do? I got no money to fix the van. And so I hitchhike up to Alta, get a job up there as a dishwasher. And during that season, um, I reconnect with a friend of mine I met teaching telemark skiing in northern Utah at the ski school there. She's like, do you want to go shoot photos? And this is like 2002. We had, we had been telemark racing a little bit together. Right. So that, I guess during that time, that's the one little transition thing too, is <clears throat> I thought, oh, I'm going to be a tele racer and I'm going to make the U S team. That was my <laughs> initial thought process. Right. Again, there's no plan to it other than it's, it's sort of a way to get somewhere. Yeah. And I go shoot photos with this photographer and she's the girl that's shooting photos with the unparalleled movies. Her right. name was Beth Lockhart. And basically i i shoot some photos she's like yeah you're pretty good at this you know i was a good telemark skier but i yeah i never thought i was like any yep. phenomenal like blowing you out of the water guy or any i wasn't like doing some crazy tricks but she's like i bet i could get you some skis from carhu as like a sponsorship and i had kind of dabbled in that with the race thing you know right. um trying to get pro deals it's funny thinking back to that because it's like any deal you could get you were like yeah i'm getting hooked up you know right. you feel pretty 
feisty about it. She got me a free pair of skis and then got me hooked up with some boots. And I don't know. I think that was the light bulb. That's really where things kind of veered off to the telemark stuff because then I realized this was my ticket to travel or an excuse to travel because I start seeing, I connect with her. She's making telemark movies Unparalleled two just came out. And I'm like, this is crazy. I didn't even know this stuff existed. Like there's like ski, ski movies and you can shoot photos and be in a magazine. And so, you know, I'm 21 years old, I'm 22 years old. And I'm like, this seems cool. Like, and I just got a free pair of skis from it. So that's when the light bulb went on with that. And long story short, I basically spent seven years accumulating sponsorships, being in movies, being in magazines, and just kind of learning the ropes of, um, you know, I, I think more of what I thought about it. I never liked to call myself a professional athlete. I never liked that term because I always had a sec, I always had a job, right? right? Like yeah. I always had some, that wasn't my income, yeah. although I did make some money at it later down the road. You know, it was minimal in comparison to like a full-time salary or something like that. But yeah, that's kind of when the light bulb switched on from the business side as I was like, man, I could, it, it was my ticket to travel, you right. know, and, and early on in the athlete thing, someone called me, Richard Scherf, who yeah. you probably know from Free Healer over in Europe, he calls Carhu. I think he was distributing Carhu at the time and says, hey, I want to fly a couple guys over to my festival at Stubai mm-hmm. in Austria. Yeah, and it was things like that, man. I get to go to Europe. Yeah. I mean, I'm like a kid. I got no money. And I'm in my early 20s. I got no legit job. and someone just flew me to Europe. Right. So saying yes to these little things before that, all of a sudden are paying my trip to Europe. And I'm just like blown away. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, totally. You know? And so that, that's what really got me. Yeah. That's what got the taste going for. How do I make this keep doing stuff like that? You know, how do I, how do I create, I don't think we call it content back then, but how do I get, how do I get in front of enough people so that they want to fly me right. to a festival or something? I mean, that's kind of what it was like, yeah. how, how can I be a value? How could I be a service to people? Right. So they want to, they want to take me to far off places and adventures, <laughs> you know? So is, is that, so we've, we've gone through that and then there'll be a whole pile of stuff in between what I know you as the, I think it was the editor of Telemark skier magazine. So you, you went to, uh, to uh oh what the hangs it called it's just outside johnson vermont uh on the jeffersonville jeffersonville yeah yeah to height <sighs> of land publications i think because they bought they bought telemark skier magazine from dosti right yeah for sure and so that's, you went and interned another... there right no that's a funny oh, okay. story too dude <laughs> uh these are all funny stories because that it's funny that you're asking about it because um one of the things that's funny about that, that transition from that seven years of being an athlete, I'd say that was kind of the first phase of stuff. But 
like I said, it was never a full-time job. I mean, right. it was so hard. If, if people go listen to my podcast with Ben Dolence, yeah. that I did a couple weeks ago. I mean, he's one of the only guys that was actually really enlightening to me because he was the only guy that I knew he and, and my friend, Sarah Clemenson, who actually was the one I taught skiing with in Northern Utah. She's the one who got me hooked up with the athlete. Thing. Right. Right. She was also a Nike athlete, but outside of those guys, I didn't know anybody that made a living. Right. And so I did seven years. I got, I was in the Warren Miller film one year. I, I know in, that that's how I think I first became aware of you. Well, and that's, what's so <clears throat> crazy is like that whole, I think back to that era, like, I mean, to, to put, just put that in perspective before I kind of lead you into the tele skier stuff, the Warren Miller thing to put it in perspective, like people are like, Oh, you were in Warren Miller. Like, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So you're thinking like, man, this guy's got this like telemark career going on, right? <laughs> well, here's the here's the funniest part about that. I lucked out. Again, total aligning of the stars. I, I was a Canyons athlete, which is uh, now owned by, it's part of Park City now, but it was its own resort. Right. They call me and they're like, do you want to be in the Warren Miller film? And I'm like, uh, yeah, of course. And to even get in that, the only reason is they were paying for the segment. But people don't realize those movies, it's all who's sponsoring that year's movie. It's their athletes, right? So to be a telemark skier and get in there, I'm skiing for Carhu, which is like this weird little independent brand. Yep. But to put it in perspective, I didn't have even... I, someone was giving me, Nike actually through my friends was giving me some clothing, but I didn't make any money. I didn't have a contract, anything. So when I got that call for Warren Miller, they were sponsored by Obermeyer. Right. They, they're like, you can be in the movie, but you have to wear Obermeyer. And I'm like, okay. I sent my sizes to them and they shipped me the stuff to wear in the movie. Right. And when it got to the tour that, you know, I was thinking exactly like I want, this is my opportunity to get in front of people Yeah. Uh, during the movie tour. So I call Warren Miller. I'm like, man, I had a, I, I know I'm not in this crazy helicopter segment, whatever, but I'd love to come to some of the tour dates. Cause that's really what I wanted to be in a band and tour. That's right. where this all started. Right. <laughs> I want someone to help. I want to be, I want to, I want to be a traveling man. So yep. I basically just, I asked these guys, I'm like, Hey, can I come to these tour dates? And I mapped out all the tour dates and I said, can I come? They're like, we cannot pay you to come to the tour dates. We cannot give you lodging. But what, we'll, what we can promise you is if you get to a tour date, we'll introduce you at the front of the show as an athlete at the show. We'll let you throw swag out. It, the, you know, those movies were like the two hour exactly. long movies. Yes. So they ha- yeah, they, they have, have, the, they have in- the intermission. The intermission. Yeah. So I would... Sh- you can throw swag at the intermission. And if you bring your own poster, which they're not going to pay for, we'll give you a table and you can sign whatever poster thing you bring. Yeah. And I talked Carhu into making this like little, it wasn't even like a full poster. It was kind of like a, almost like a card, card. stock. Yeah. Yeah. Like large card stock thing. And it had like two sides. And uh, it was promoting the 0506 
Team 100 ski that just came out. Right. Um, the fun part about that tour is I didn't have a car. <laughs> and so I didn't have a way to get to places. So I, I said, okay, I can do the Utah shows. Those are easy. But I would hitch rides, literally thumb rides, to get to the show with my posters right. and a Sharpie. And I remember a couple of fun ones, Ogden, Utah, north of here, about 45 minutes. I actually left the show. I walked like five miles to the freeway or something, thumbed a ride and got picked up by people that I signed posters for. <laughs> and they were literally like, dude, aren't you the guy that just, was it the Warren Miller film? I'm like, I don't have a car. Right. And they drove me back to Salt Lake. I took Greyhound buses to the Colorado shows. Right. And dude, I, I thumbed it. I literally hitchhiked to those shows and it, it, it's super crazy. That's, so, that's, that's rad. Cause remember how I told you we didn't have a car when I was a kid and we were the Greyhound camping people. Yep. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah. So I took, Oh man, I, I could go. Those, those, those are the awesome stories that, you know, I like to hear and hopefully the listeners and your listeners on your podcast will get some of that stuff that they don't know about. Right. Yeah. And, and I think so anyways, the, the point of that being just to kind of shed light on, I mean, when you say you're a sponsored athlete and that's in the heyday, right? Like yeah. this is like telemark's going pretty good at that point. We were all broke, yeah. you know? And so, um, anyways, I got to the end of doing seven years of that, you know, and, I was, I basically just came to a dead end. I was like, dude, I'm almost 30 years old. I think I was 30. I think that was kind of around that time. And I was like, I, I, I was like, I don't know what to do. I mean, there, there was no, like I always say, I think this is kind of when I maybe started feeding into that whole idea of building a telemark industry, because I saw all these amazing people that were much, even much better skiers than I was sponsored skiers, whatever. But you kind of think that the people that are influencing the media, like uh, that that are in the movies and stuff, maybe there would be an outlet for some of them to have a job afterwards. Right. You know, like yeah. a market a marketing guy or dude, dead end, boom. I mean, I I was like, yeah, I could ski bum the rest of my life like this, but you're just there's just there was no opportunity left, and right. so I actually quit. Right. I literally I literally Boy. quit doing telly stuff for about six or eight months maybe. And I thought we'd, we'd made the one lipstick films movie. And I thought, well, maybe I can go to film school. So I enrolled in the art Institute and started pounding nails with my friend, building log cabins in the mountains in the summer. And I was like, well, I guess that's it. You know, I mean, there was, I thought maybe I could get into video production or, I was, again, I was kind of grasping it. Like, I, I was like, well, I don't really, what's my skill set now? You know, like yeah, <laughs> seven years of being a telemarket, like, Hey dude, you're really good at traveling and <laughs> dropping knees. You right, know, like right. I didn't really have a resume outside of that. So I basically quit. I remember I told my mom, I was like, I, I guess I'm going to pound nails and go to school. Cause I don't really know. I don't know what to do. And that I got, enrolled in school and I started that semester and then I randomly got a phone call from 
Adam Howard, right, who was who's one of the owners of Hide a Lamb Publications. He's like, hey, we bought Telemark Skier magazine, and I was like, cool. What does that have to do with me? Exactly. You know. Yep. He's like, I want you to be the editor, and I'm like, I don't know how to edit anything. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, but you got, you know, we've seen you in some of these Telemark movies. You got, you know, we, we need, we can help you be the editor. We know you've written like, I think I'd written like one article or something for skiing magazine or something. Um, maybe even Telemark skier. I can't remember. I mean, so I've got like zero experience, right? right. Like I, I don't know how to edit a magazine. I don't even know how to put a print magazine together and how he's like, no, we'll, we'll pay you. I mean, it was minuscule, dude. The offer was like a couple thousand dollars per issue, and there was two issues. Right. <laughs> so again, here I am getting an offer to like hop back into this, and I got not really a way to make an income. It didn't really solve the problem, but I was passionate, and I was like, at that point, I'm like, you were able to live. Me. You were able to live. Kind of. Yeah. I mean. It, it was like, he's like, you can work remote. You don't need to move to Vermont. You can work in Salt Lake and I'll help you build the magazine. And I was like, cool. I can use my contacts to write the articles. And anyway, so that's how I got the job. Right. Is I, and so I drop out of school again <laughs> and that was it. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I basically was like, I kept trying to start school and then I, it, it just wasn't happening. I was like, well, this is, this is the omen from the God, the telemark gods that I guess I'm supposed to like give this a shot now. And, um, but the funny thing was about that. So to go back to the travel thing, he offers me a couple thousand bucks an issue and I'm thinking I can't survive on that. And I'm like, I, I convinced him to throw an extra $1,500 in the mix on top of that. And I said, if you give me $1,500, I can buy a projector and I can buy a mini PA system, like a sound system. Yep. And I said, and I pitched the idea. I said, Hey, I've got, I've got a bunch of footage from a second lipstick movie that we never put out. We were supposed to make a second movie in 2008 and it never happened. And this is like 2009 or yeah, 2009 ish. And, um, and I knew I had uh, JT Robinson, my other friend, he had provided a ton of footage for other film companies. He had a bunch of footage. And so I said, you, you pitching an extra, extra $1,500. I, I said, I'll book a 50 city U S tour and I'll make a movie. And the funny part about it is I didn't even make the first lipstick movie. I right. was like the guy that got the sponsorships. So I went and bought a projector at a local university, a used one from a classroom, and I bought a PA system. And I clipped all that old footage together from what would have been the second lipstick movie and then whatever JT could give me. And I basically called that the free heel life. Right. And I booked a 50 city tour. And I, that is how I made the remainder of my money and got on the road. So wow. kind of the common theme, like I kind of kept seeing these opportunities to travel. Yeah. And I was like, all right. So I put fall 2009 and I put out the free heel life, which was kind of a 
mixtape of all this random footage and I put it together with a bunch of music. I edited it that summer and made the two magazines. And then I used that tour to go promote the print magazine in front of people through the movies. Right. So that's the long answer backstory to the telemark skier thing. It's basically I quit because I, I was like, and I'm not a quitter, but I didn't know where to go, right? Like there was nothing. <coughs> you know what? You didn't basically, quit. You just needed some time off to think about it, man. Well, and, and funny enough, that's really when the telemark's dead thing started. Right. Back in that, that era. And so all the companies that had already kind of jumped ship, right. you know, like yeah. they were, there was nothing, there's just nothing going on. So yeah. that was basically, yeah, you can thank Adam Howard for right on roping me back in. And that's, that's kind of how that all started. So I know those guys are pretty cool. I, uh, on my way to my cottage, I went down to uh height of land productions and I was like, I, I was buying some of their stuff you know, some of the swag that Telemark or, or backcountry skier and that sort of stuff. But it's, like, freaking expensive to get it up in Canada. So on the way to the cottage, I kind of make a little detour. I roll up in my Chrysler 300, and they're all out having a mid-afternoon break, and I jump out, and I go, I'm here. And they're like, who the hell's this guy, right? And so I told them, and they're like, oh, come on in here. So I go in to buy some stuff, and they're like, well, here, take this and have that. And, you know, so, yeah, yeah good, good that crew. Was cool that office was cool. Cause it was like that old house. And if people yeah. haven't been to Jeffersonville, it's like nothing. I mean, it's like five, 500 people. Yeah. If that, yeah, they've got it. They've like got a, little... a distillery there now, a vodka distillery. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. on, right on. Uh, was it route five? I think that goes across the state there. Yeah. No. Or may, or it might be yeah. route 100 might be route 100. Yeah. I think route 100 yeah. comes down into yeah. there. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really live. I didn't really live in, uh, I'm trying to even think. I don't even know if I. I think I heard the story that you lived in their van in the back of the, the old I house. Bought, I bought the, the, what's now the creepy black van that everybody always comments <laughs> on was, was, um, I bought that in 2000. 10 i bought that in 2010 because while i was on the i was on tour um yeah so i didn't work out of the office the first two the two years the two first two cycles of the magazine i, I worked from salt lake and then i'd i'd make these movies in the summer so basically that kind of led into you know then howie and those guys over there john there was john howard adam howard justin ryer those guys are basically like they realize like, I just want to road dog it. Right. And so they're, they're like, well, why don't we build, why don't we make that part of telemark skier is you can make these movies, put a movie out every fall, do the tour. Right. You can do two, two print magazines. And then we added the second year we added, um, uh, the NTN demo tour. Right. And so I did that. And so, yeah, I just lived on the road, and then I bought I uh, I got in a head-on car collision in Jefferson outside of oh. Jeffersonville in Smuggler's Notch, right? On on tour, and I had to drive a rental car back from Vermont to Utah, and then I bought that other van, right. and then I moved into that van, and uh, that's when I that's last summer of twenty 
it would have been 2011 uh spring 2011 i lived in that van in jeffersonville over the summer outside the office wow which was super funny because i'd always there's a bank next door and yes i don't i try to park the doors so that i would get out on the between the building and the van right (laughs) because the old ladies at the bank would always be looking at me like where did that guy come from you know 7 a.m in the morning they had a shower at that old it was an old house right yeah they had a shower at the office yeah that was it man i just wandered around this old building in my van for a whole summer in jeffersonville (laughs) hey i'm gonna ask you something because we're like just over an hour now do you want to do a part two sometime in the future because i don't want to hold you up from your day that's fine. I mean, we can keep talking for a minute, but yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. If you want to do a part two, we can do part two. Yeah. I know you get me talking. You knew this was going to happen. I know. Well, then. I know. I know. I know. That's why that was like with uh, Adam Sourwin when I did his, you know, I, I met him through social media and we meet, meet up at the city garage in Ellicottville and we start talking. I want to get into all this sort of stuff because he builds uh, vans. Hey, there's the van life again. He converts, you know, those uh, sketchy white uh uh transit vans and that into really nice camper vans and then he lives in it and then he'll sell it and then he'll build another one but in the meantime you know his his sort of uh free heel life as i say in quotations is uh he calls it the pursuit and it's the oh, pursuit the mad uh mr adam like- x Adam X. Yeah. 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 I've, yeah, I've seen his stuff on Instagram. Yeah. yeah so, okay. you know, I, I didn't get to talk about the van conversion stuff. So it's like, dude, can I hit you up for a second episode? And he's like, Oh hell yeah. Anytime, man. So yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. There's a, yeah, it's fun talking about it, man. Sometimes I forget. I think, yeah, there's a lot of twists and turns and there's a lot of random. Oh, it's amazing stuff. where you end up. eh? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, I look at where we're at now and I'm like, it's, it's, uh, it really is like one foot in front of the other, man. And I think at some point, yeah, I guess kind of a way to wrap up that whole section. It's like, at some point you just kind of, at some point I kind of just had to say, Oh, this is, this is the path I'm currently on. Yeah. And you just like hunker down and say, Hey, I'm going to see how many opportunities I can, I can build out of this vein of things well at least you've got a plan that way like in my life you know i'm really lucky i'm married to sean because i think she's the only woman who would put up with my shit i think i think most of our women are like that (laughs) it's like that's the cri that's the criteria like here's my list of bullshit like yeah uh, are you cool with it or what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a list. It just kind of fly, you know, it, it appears. It's like, you know, you're announcing, oh, yeah, we're making the protector skis. And I was like, okay, I bought his first pair of uh, switch blades that he ever made. It's like, it makes sense that hopefully I get the first pair of protector 95s that you got. And Sean goes, uh, yeah, well, you might have to get rid of a pair of skis or not. So I already got rid of them. So I got a little oh, bit of good. cash in there. Yep, a buddy of mine bought my ski logics. <laughs> I like it, man. Yeah, I know you've 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 been a great supporter over that. I mean, honestly, that's the whole. I mean, I guess the underlying flow to the whole story that I've been talking about is, if there wasn't people along the way that that had supported the ideas that I was coming up with, like I totally wouldn't be here. I mean, even today, right. I mean, it's like 
it's still uh it's still sort of a living experiment and and um yeah i don't know man i've met so many cool people like you over the years and oh, you know whether it's people pick, picking me up hitchhiking to right. warner miller shows yeah. or people that came to tours that i did like yeah i mean for the most part this has been a pretty until up to the last six years it was pretty much a one-man show you yep. know so yeah you know, could, you, could you imagine that. they uh, I watch a news segment on CBS and it's like a uh, note to self, younger self. So what do you've got about nine or 10 employees in your shop this year? Like you yeah, imagine that, in the, doing yeah, what the you're doing. There's nine. Yeah. And doing what you're doing now, what your 14 year old or 13 year old self would, uh, would say or think. eh? Yeah. You know, it's funny if I had to go back, it wasn't until this evolution of what free heel life is now like a retail shop now we're getting into some manufacturing i mean if i went if i went back in time that's the one thing i wish i would have figured out earlier was um is making products like even t-shirts man yeah. i look back to when we did like lipstick films or you know i was making dvds at the time and I remember that was the first time I was like, wow, I can make this thing and sell it and make money. That was pretty cool. Right. But it never, it never connected with me to make more stuff. I don't know why. Yeah. Just, pe people want to buy stuff that says I was there. Right. Well, and that's, what's so funny is like, I think at that point, I think that was probably the biggest lesson I've learned over the years is I was doing stuff at a time where we had the ability to get the cameras to make media. And I took the job at Telemark Skier, you know, cause I was really convinced I was like, oh, media is what's gonna inspire people to get into this thing. And, but it, and to a point, I still agree with that, but it was almost impossible to make money from it because I just happened to, at the same time it became accessible to buy commercial grade film equipment for instance right. like you could kind of get that i mean now my iphone shoots better oh, than the yeah. stuff i was making movies with yeah which is insane to think about now but it was like it didn't quite add up how i would have hoped it's like we were able to get the camera gear and the editing equipment because everything was digitized but at the same time we were, I was making movies at a time when people didn't want to pay to go see a movie or buy a DVD because things were going to digital. Right. Um, so yeah, that's the only part I wish I would have figured out more is, is, uh, um, when we, when I turned the free life into the retail shop, that started making a lot more sense because yeah. I was like, Oh, there's a need for this. And I guess on the flip side, I never would have come up with that idea if I hadn't have driven around the country and gone to festivals in Europe and done all this other stuff because those opportunities opened my mind to the idea that people needed that stuff. So, right. I mean, it's coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? Like yeah. I could go back in time, but I wouldn't have pieced it together the same way, you right. know, cause it just, I didn't have the experiences to build it off of. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know so. what? Let's end this episode here. And I'll okay. tell the listeners to uh, stay tuned in the future for part two.
of our interview with El Jefe down in Salt Lake City. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Thanks for letting me tell some t- tell some stories. Oh, I, I love stories. You know what? As a teacher, everybody knew, you know, oh, yeah, we get Woodsy off track. He'll tell stories, and we, we don't have to learn anything. But little did they know, <laughs> I knew what they were doing, and I would throw the lessons in there. Yeah, that's smart. All right. That's so smart. thanks a lot, Josh. And yeah, uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Skipper Report. And a huge thank you to Josh Madsen, owner of the Free Hill Life Industries and everything that goes along with it on Instagram. You can find him at Josh No Madsen, at Free Hill Life, at Tele Skier Mag, on the Free Hill Life Facebook group, and finally at telemarkskier.com relaunch of the former print version of telemark skier magazine thanks again check back in a little while for a a new episode with a new guest and uh, then keep an eye out for part two of the interview with el jefe thanks again